Good morning, Grace Church. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Thanks, Dorothy. Let me just uh, start this. We are back in 1 Corinthians. Uh, After a bit of a break, we started 1 Corinthians, I think, in September up till Christmas and then have been doing some other series since then. But we're back in 1 Corinthians and we'll be uh, in it until uh, until the end of uh, Corinthians, that is. Uh, And uh, this passage uh, obviously picks up on the Lord's Supper and what that, to some extent, what that means for us, but it doesn't really drill down into the details of what it is. So what we thought we'd do is uh, actually break this passage into two weeks. So next week, Tim will be preaching on uh, more on the topic of what the Lord's Supper is, which allows us this week to think uh, what this passage is about and how that's going to help us. We'll, we'll obviously touch quite a lot on the Lord's Supper as well. 
Uh, but with that uh, explanation of where we're going, what we're back into, uh, 1 Corinthians, let me pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians that's so practical in the way in which we do church and how we structure ourselves and how we behave and uh, all of those things. We pray, though, that this week we would be excited by the Lord Jesus and all he has done for us. We pray that you'd speak to us by your word. We pray that if we don't know you, you would show us yourself uh, through your word by your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, you would think it would be pretty hard to uh, take part in the Lord's Supper or communion, uh, whatever word you want to use. Uh, You'd think it would be pretty hard to do take part in that in a bad way. After all, uh, the Lord's Supper is the way in which we remember that Jesus, the Lord, uh, through his grace and his mercy for his people, uh, died to forgive us of our sins. Uh, So how can you do something like that in a bad way? Well, apparently it's very possible. So uh, I'd encourage you to follow through in your Bibles uh, if you've still got them. Verse 17, the first verse uh, today. Uh, If you remember, Paul's been giving them feedback, if you like, on various things that they do in the church. And now he's on to this topic. And he starts, verse 17, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In other words, it would be better not to even share the Lord's Supper than to do it in the way in which you are doing it. It's quite a severe rebuke. Uh, Paul doesn't waste any time getting to the core issue of what their problem is. Uh, It's not a new one. It's one he actually started the whole book of 1 Corinthians with right back at the beginning, uh, speaking about unity. So have a look at verse 18. In the first place, I hear that you have come together as a church... Uh, Sorry, when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Uh, They are divided. They're not united. Uh, You get the sense of how unimpressed Paul is when you see that uh, that last statement has to be his sarcasm, where he says, to some extent, I believe it, because it loads the next statement uh, to be one of complete irony. Verse 19, no doubt there have to be differences among you to to show which of you have God's approval. It's a a reminder back where they were arguing over, I follow Cephas, I follow Paul, I'm more important than you. Well, of course, there's got to be some divisions otherwise how would you know who's the most important he's not impressed in other words um, there have to be divisions among you says Paul because of the way you think about yourselves about thinking who's the most important who's following the best teachers so he's not surprised that when it comes to gathering together to share the Lord's Supper there are divisions here as well So uh, division, if you like, is kind of the root problem. How is it being manifested? What does it look like? Verse 20 and verse 21, he explains. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Uh, What appears to be happening is that uh, when they met together to share the Lord's Supper uh, at their gathered church services, uh, not too dissimilar from us today, 
than what was supposed to be happening, happening is it would be a kind of bring and share meal. Everyone brings some food, they all sit down together, they all share and enjoy each other's uh, uh, time together. And during that meal, uh, someone would break bread, they'd share the bread, they'd share a cup of wine uh, to remind them of Jesus' body and blood broken for them and the blood shed for them as he died on the cross. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very involved, deliberately involved, it's the way Jesus designed it for us to share uh, a meal together. Uh, and in some way, they're not doing that. Instead of uh, bring and sharing, uh, Tim Guest, when we talked about this at staff meeting, called it uh, a bring and flaunt meal. You'd bring the best food and the best wine from your own best house and share it with your best friends private suppers happening perhaps around in different corners rather than sharing what we have. So some are getting drunk and stuff in their faces and others who can't afford to bring much, if anything, to the bring and flaunt meal go hungry. Uh, So the wealthy and the cliques would bring their best, show it off, so that the poor sitting in, in the corner would be excluded. Demonstrating that you, you don't quite fit in with us. We're a bit more important. Or, uh, I don't quite understand you, so I'm going to sit over here and uh, enjoy my good wine and good bread all to myself. And so Paul says, verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? It's not necessarily a problem that you have good food and good wine, but don't you have a home to enjoy that in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? That's what's going on. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Uh, The vehemence of Paul's rebukes here uh, are not, though, just simply related to their appalling attitudes. The attitude is bad, isn't it? We we recognise it instantly. Uh, We're probably already starting to think, you know, say maybe I'm sometimes a bit like that. But that's not just the reason Paul is so uh, unimpressed with them. He is appalled because the very thing that they are saying they are doing, the Lord's Supper, amplifies the uh, horrendous nature of their behaviour. They are disunited in something that is meant to show their unity. Uh, He says in a minute, doesn't he, in a few verses, that the Lord's Supper is not something to be undertaken lightly. It ought to bring about the opposite behaviours of what you're demonstrating, is Paul's point. It it ought to unite, not disunite. It ought to bring about corporate humility rather than individual or small group pride. It ought to cause uh, love, sacrificial love, to those around rather than self-love or cliquey love. Why? Because it was instituted, it was given to them, to us, by the Lord Jesus himself to remind his followers, to remind Christians of how Jesus was at that moment. As we think of Jesus' death on our behalf, we think of his love, we think of his incredible humility, the sacrifice that the Son of God gave freely for his people by grace. No cost to us. Gave his life for them, for us, to be united as one family in his name. It's in that context Paul is so unimpressed with this disunity. 
Uh, he reminds them by uh, what the Lord's Supper is all about by uh, quoting in verses 23 to 26, which what was almost pro- certainly uh, sort of early church liturgy. These are the words that were likely shared around the, the early churches as they were planted by Paul and the other apostles to remind them of what the Lord's Supper was. So he quotes to them now the words that they almost certainly would have known so well. Uh, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Here it comes. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, uh, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me point out some of the obvious ironies Paul is pointing out. While the Corinthians are humiliating each other, the Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus instituted this meal on the very night he knew he would be betrayed by a friend. If you like, Judas sought to disunite and Jesus laid down his life in the face of that disunity to bring unity. Uh, While the Corinthians kept the best bread and the best wine for themselves and their own private little groups, Jesus literally gave his body and blood for them. Uh, While the Corinthians create factions and cliques, Jesus offers a new and free covenant that offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. While the Corinthians are getting self-indulgently drunk and enjoying the world that we live in, the Lord's Supper is the way we proclaim we no longer need the world's comforts, for we live by the death of Jesus for our, for our forgiveness and for the hope of Jesus' return when we will share this meal with him again. Uh, that context and thinking makes their sin of pride, their divisions, their humiliation of others uh, not just a sin against each other. It's not even just a sin against the church of God, which Paul has already told us they, they must despise if they're behaving like this. It is a direct sin against the very body and blood of Jesus. Verse 27, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It's quite a statement. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Uh, In their attitudes towards each other as they share the Lord's Supper, they're running the risk of rejecting the very salvation they say they're trying to remember. It's so grievous and serious that uh, God 
himself has apparently brought about present judgment on the church in Corinth amongst their community and an act of loving discipline to restore their faith. So verse 30 to 32, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, have died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, to our attitudes, the way in which we view ourselves and others, we would not come under such judgment. People are sick and dying in your church, says Paul, because of your attitude towards each other as you share the Lord's Supper. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined. So that discipline is not a bad thing from God, it's a call to repentance. We are being disciplined so that they will not be finally condemned with the world. In other words, return to the Lord's Supper with a right attitude. Uh, We don't often consider, do we, how our present trials uh, might be a way of God lovingly disciplining us, reminding us of uh, our need to return to him in repentance. Uh, I don't think Paul's saying that anyone who suffers is doing so because they have sinned in a specific way. He doesn't make that connection. But it is true that all evil and suffering exists in our world because of sin. And Paul says you're seeing a bit more of that in your church at the moment in Corinth because of the way you are treating each other. Uh, So in our suffering, perhaps we ought not to blame God. We ought not to assume perhaps that it's just a personal specific sin of ours. But we can ask, is there sin in my life that I need to deal with? Is there something going on in our church where we're showing bad attitudes towards each other, which we need to deal with? Are we being lovingly disciplined? Uh, Whatever the answer to that, perhaps it's uh, an unrelated uh, issue. We can still repent and enjoy the gospel and grace of God all the more in those situations. Uh, It's a question uh, that Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to ask. What is going on in our church and, and why is this happening Perhaps we need to come before him once more in repentance, change our attitudes. And so Paul finally gives them a a way forward, uh, practical advice. Verse 33. So then, brothers and sisters, this is how you ought to do it. When you gather to eat, share the Lord's Supper, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. When I come, I'll give you further instructions. I don't know what they were, but I'm sure they were good. Uh, So what about us? Uh, Our practice of the Lord's Supper uh, has changed since those times. Uh, We don't often gather around a big meal. Uh, We don't have a bring and share or a bring and flaunt. Uh, We share a simple token of the Lord's Supper, uh, a token of bread, a token of wine to remind us of the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, That practice of sharing a very simple meal as we do today became fairly normal within churches within the first century or two of Jesus' death. But I think the question this passage asks more is, have our attitudes changed? Where might we be in danger of drinking judgment upon ourselves through humiliating others or dividing our church family? Have we brought intellectual divisions into our church? 
or, or class divisions or race divisions? Do we look down on the poor, uh, whether that's poorer financially or whether that's poorer academically or poorer socially or, or poorer mentally? Uh, it's much easier, isn't it, just to talk to known friends rather than someone new on a Sunday, for example. Uh, it's certainly easier to talk to only friends rather than someone who perhaps has a different outlook on life to you or who's from a different country and, or, or whose English isn't very good and we've got to make a bit more effort. Uh, it's easier to talk to people who have the same opinions as us. You know, they've got life sorted because we agree with how they're doing it rather than talk to someone we feel might have different views or, or to someone who we, we might need to help or serve. <coughs> It's easier to talk to those who agree with us spiritually, who, who will understand us and, and know that we're, we're right and we'll, we'll agree on everything. All of that's easy, isn't it? And that's just chatting on Sunday after a service. What about those we invite to lunch or to walk the dog with or offer to babysit for? What about those that we see in the street and cross the road to avoid? Or stay on the same side, because we like this person. They're easy to talk to. Uh, we potentially have our cliques, don't we, when we think about it like that. And that's going to mean that some of us are stuffing our faces and getting drunk on fellowship and friendship in one corner, while others are going hungry for fellowship and friendship and spiritual discussion and support in another corner. And then we're happy to share the Lord's Supper together. And then we're happy to declare we're all just one family, as long as we sit in the same room once a week on a Sunday. We forget that Christ died to unite us in our differences. He died to make us family. He made us blood, brothers and sisters, by his blood. Perhaps even some of the trials in our lives as a church may result from God's loving discipline to call us back to repentance and to a loving unity. Uh, wherever this dividing corporate attitude is prevalent in the church, it strikes at the very heart of what church is supposed to be, or what the Lord's Supper reminds us. Uh, for example, we are all saved from darkness and sin. That is our life without Christ. A place of darkness, a place of sin, a place deserving of God's judgment and wrath. A place of poverty, of death. And yet while we were like that, while we were still sinners, Paul writes in another of his letters, Christ died for us. He gave his life as a ransom for many. The righteous life of Jesus for our unrighteous lives. The clean for the dirty. We are people who live as a result of and in the remembrance of the cross of Christ. That is why the Lord's Supper is so essential to us. That is why it unites us. 
And that is why unity is such a, a key fruit of our salvation, to love one another. Think of it this way, no, not, none of us, sorry, no one was more revolting to God than you. Try not to look at anyone individually. And me, sorry. In other words, no sin can be overlooked by God, as if, you know, some of us would have made it to God just about. No, none of us was. We're, we're all revolting to him in our sin. We're all deserving of his judgment and his banishment. That, that's what we look like before God. And yet, when we looked like that, when we were dead in our sin, Jesus loved us enough to give his own body, his own blood, to take that wrath, that judgment from God, to unite us again to him and make us one family. How can we accept uh, his effort and his sacrifice for us when we were the darkest sinners before God and then decide now as Christians to reject those who may take a little bit more effort to get to know or decide, well, we, just, we won't try and cross that cultural boundary or that social issue or that economic difference or that racial barrier. Well, Christ's body was broken for all. Uh, the Lord's Supper, we, we will share next week. Uh, I wanted us to have an opportunity to think and reflect on this passage before we come and share that meal again. Uh, which is why we're doing two weeks on this, and Tim, Tim will lead us in that next week. But the Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed to offer us, by his grace, the forgiveness of sins for our rebellion and rejection of God. It reminds us that he has broken every barrier, the worst of which is sin, and united people together by his blood. We, therefore, are a people, if we believe that, that need to be, ought to be, are marked by humility as Christ hum uh, humbled himself. For we know we have been freed and saved. Nothing of our own work. Uh, and therefore we're marked very clearly by love for each other because we lower ourselves and become one. Because we know the great love and sacrifice Jesus gave for us. If we're marked by humility and love, then we cannot be anything but a family marked by unity. For a humble and loving family cannot be divided. It's an impossibility. And so if you want to think about something and pray about something this week, let's pray about being humble. Let's pray about loving one another. And without fail, we will be a united family. I wonder if verse 26 as well helps us think through uh, how we can unite ourselves a bit more. Uh, the Lord's Supper is not just about looking back and remembering what Jesus has done for us and made us. It's also about looking forward, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, when we share the Lord's Supper, we don't just remember, we declare the future we proclaim it. It is a meal that one day we will enjoy again with the Lord Jesus himself when he returns. He says in another, another passage, he won't drink of the cup until he returns. There will come a day when Christ returns 
Uh, It could be this afternoon. And the Bible is clear, whenever it is, we need to be ready. It will come like a thief in the night. Don't be sleeping. Be ready. It's urgent. And on that day, Christ will gather his united people and he will sit alongside them. And it won't matter who is sat next to you. They may be a different culture, from different, uh, have different politics, might have a different economy in their life. We'll all be sat together, united perfectly with Jesus amongst us. So when we share the Lord's Supper, we are echoing, we are proclaiming, we are looking forward to that day. And as others look in and they see a church family from all sorts of cultures and economies and poverties and healths, they'll look in and they'll say, there's something different here. They love each other despite the fact they're so different. We're proclaiming that final meal when Christ returns. Uh, perhaps you're looking in today uh, at this church. You're wondering, well, how, how can I join in? I don't, I'm not sure I know this Lord Jesus. I'm not sure if I've asked for his forgiveness. I'm not sure how to join this family. Can I join? Well, well of course you can. That's the whole point of this entire passage. In fact, of the word of God, that all are welcome. There, there is a seat at this table with your name on it. And you're free to sit at it next to anybody simply by asking Jesus to forgive you through his death and resurrection. And so I guess the best way to respond to this passage, uh, I said already we can be praying about humility and love this week, uh, but perhaps the best way we can respond to this practically and perhaps even the best way we can respond to the Lord's death and resurrection is to love people, our fellow and brothers, fellow brothers and sisters this week. We can avoid private cliques that alienate or humiliate or flaunt over others. Uh, we can make the effort with those who are different from us or who are new to our church. It means uh, not going away thinking, yes, uh, Sam has a point, there's lots of cliques and bubbles and groups, and they are terrible people. No, each of us humbles ourselves like Jesus. It means going to chat to people you haven't chatted to before. Uh, Go up to people you've never talked to before and uh, and just say something like, I'm sorry, I don't think I know your name. Uh, How long have you been coming here? Oh, yeah, about five years. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Go and chat to people. How did you come to Grace Church? Uh, what's your story? Uh, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? How, how did you become a Christian? Uh, when can you come to lunch with your family? When can we walk our dogs together? There's been a lot of dog walking today. Uh, can I help you with that DIY project? Because I've got a hammer and I've not had a chance to use it for a while. <laughs> can you help me with something? I need, to, I need a lift somewhere. We can't all be best of buddies with everyone. That's not Paul's point here. But we can all humble ourselves, respect and love each other. We can make a special effort to get to know each other. Not humiliating, not looking down, not thinking down or on anyone. It's about working at friendships that may or may not be natural outside of our faith in the Lord Jesus. It's about being so different to the world around us so that then when the world looks in and they see our love for each other, 
They hear being proclaimed the death of Jesus and the future return of Jesus. It's about getting to know those who you will sit alongside in eternity as we feast with Jesus when he returns. It's about being able to remember next week as we share the Lord's Supper, the death of Jesus, his body and blood shed for us, his sacrificial, unconditional, humble, loving work of free forgiveness for all who come to him and being united around Jesus as a result. Let me close by praying our lord and heavenly father we praise you for giving us your son jesus that while we were still sinners christ died for us may that truth mark our lives may we be humble as he was humble may we love as he loved And therefore, may we be a united family for your glory so that we proclaim Jesus' death and his future return by showing a love this world does not know because it's been given to us by you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.